know the lyrics to the extended version of every 90s TV theme song? And you recite the entire script to Wayne's World on command, verbatim? Might you wax nostalgic about injuries sustained during backyard wrestling matches? Have you pontificated at length over what beer goes best with Mario Kart? Do you philosophically dwell for inappropriate lengths of time on phenomena like snowsuits, minor five chords, Rocky Four, baseball stats, wall-mounted pencil sharpeners, cinnamon toast crunch, Murray Wilson, seasons two through eight of The Simpsons, Bond villains, then friends, lovers, palindromes, have we got the show for you. It's Calling BS with Brandon and Scott, your esoteric clerics for the fleet of mouth and mind. Brutally honest, meticulously obsessive, and painstakingly pragmatic. Check us out and BS, I love you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski. And I'm Todd Mack. And this week, we're discussing Robert Angier and Alfred Borden from the film The Prestige. And to help us in our discussion, we're joined from Jeff Dumas from the Fandom Podcast. Welcome, Je- Jeff. Hey, how's it going? It's we're me. glad to have you here. It's glad to be here. Yeah, and I'm really glad that you suggested this film and that you asked us to do it. Um, as soon as I turned it back on, I was like, oh, this film is so good. How have I not rewatched it in so long? Mm-hmm. Uh, I was actually I trying to feeling. rewatch it literally before the recording but timed it wrong and i had to leave but so yeah missed <laughs> the last 20 minutes so i hope nothing important happens no if there's no big reveals or things <laughs> that make you rethink the entire structure of the story <laughs> that you've been viewing and your relationship with any characters nothing like that good 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 i was worried yep well, uh, as we said, we're talking about The Prestige, which is a 2006 film that starred Hugh Jackman as Robert Angier and Christian Bale as Alfred Borden. It was directed by Christopher Nolan with a screenplay from Christopher and Jonathan Nolan. And it is an adaptation of a 1995 novel of the same name that was written by Christopher Priest. And I just want to note, this is not, as I once had the misapprehension uh, or the misbelief, this is not the same Christopher Priest who has written many excellent comic books. Uh, particularly, he's written some really strong runs for Marvel Comics. Uh, different Christopher Priest writers uh, entirely. One is a British author. The other is an African-American author. Huh. So you've read this book, Jeff? I listened to it, if that counts. Okay. I mean, I, I don't know why I feel I have to preface that. But yeah, I, I have listened to it. It's, you have consumed the book. <laughs> yeah, I know what happens in the book. I tried reading it, and it's hard to read people's journals. And so the audible, audible.com is the best. So is the book um, largely their journals then? So it's it's told from it's a, the story of it is a descendant of a Borden family is contacted by a descendant of the Angier family and they kind of kind of compare notes about why their family is always feuded and they say well my great grandpa wrote this book on magic and it tells Alfred Borden's story from beginning to end and then it cuts to the modern day people modern ish people day that was the sentence and then. Uh, they read Robert Angier's journal and okay. see his side of things. So it is, it's told in two different chunks with sprinklings of other hints along the way. So, well, there's some great use of the journal in the film. So that makes sense that that would be yeah. significantly in the book. Oh yeah. Uh, so Jeff, had you read that book before you saw the film or did you see the film first? 
Uh, no, I had never even heard of this until the movie. I didn't know it was a thing until actually my neighbor said, hey, did you know the Prestige is based on a book and I bought it? Do you want to borrow it? Sure. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's how I discovered that it was a book. And uh, how did you come to the film then, I guess? Um, My parents one day just said, hey, you want to go see a movie? And they never actually told me what it was about. So I kind of just walked into this movie not, as far as my memory goes, no idea what it was supposed to be about. And then so being exposed to the prestige, not knowing what it's about is probably the best way <laughs> to see yeah. it. Also, the best part was, why is Batman using a fake British accent? What's going on? <laughs> That's his actual accent, right? It's a yeah. fake American accent. Yeah, that is actually how he sounds. <laughs> He's Welsh. Or yeah, I guess so. It was probably another accent upon accent <laughs> yep. for him. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I remember being excited for this because it was the next project that Christopher Nolan did after Batman Begins. And uh, for my geeky side, it was a really strong coming together of Christopher Nolan, Batman, Wolverine, and Victorian era magicians, which is really a Venn diagram I would visit very often uh, <laughs> <laughs> if, if it was available in anything other than this adaptation of The Prestige. Well, there was that one where the Hulk was a magician, too. That's true. And it came out around the same time, didn't it? The, yeah, it was um, a twin. They were twin movies. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, uh, didn't we see this together, Joe? Was that the first time you saw it? I okay. Or did you I, take I, me to see it after you had already seen it? I was trying to remember because this was right after I had gone out to grad school and I couldn't remember if I saw it first, but but I'd come back home. So it's possible you and I had seen it, saw it together first, or if I saw it first when I was on a date with, with my wife now, Emily. I know. Um, I couldn't yeah. remember that. I know that it, the first time I saw it was when I saw it with you and I was completely blown away. I think that was probably my second time because I think I saw it first, but it, but it was one of those films where you see it once and pretty immediately I was like, well, I need to see that again. Yeah. <laughs> like to, to reprocess it, um, both because it's so good, but because what happens in the story makes you rethink everything. And I wanted to see it a second time with my new knowledge, you know, of, of how things come out. I am so glad I didn't. I mean, it, it's kind of like Sixth Sense. You don't want to know the twist before you yes. go see Sixth Sense. But after you see it with the twist, you want to like, Go back and, and like check it out. Did that really, you know, did the math check out on how this story was put together? And the prestige is very similar in that you see it, you your mind gets blown at the end, and then you want to like go double check everything. And yeah. watching it again this time, I when I knew all the twists, I mean, it's been years since I rewatched it, but I love this movie. And watching it and just knowing all the twists again, it just it made me so happy whenever there were like oh, yeah. the double or triple meanings of lines that were being delivered. Yeah. I so. think I, I think that the I, the thought that came out, I think I actually said this when we walked out of that movie. I think I said that was a perfect movie. <laughs> like that was a perfect, <laughs> a perfect story, perfectly told. And um, I don't know. I, I don't say that about everything. I <laughs> I mean, I, I just watched it again just a few minutes ago. I finished it and I don't know if I was totally wrong. <laughs> It's <laughs> it is a an astonishingly well made um, piece of film. There's just great um, writing and the structure of the story uh, is is done so perfectly, but also really strong performances. Oh, yeah. I thought from from the, from yep. the whole cast, um, top to bottom. Yep. And Christopher Nolan, it turns out, is a is a really good yeah, director. That, just side note, that guy's going places. In case anyone was wondering, Christopher Nolan's got to keep your eye on him. All right. Well, now a little bit of trivia. And uh, Jeff, if you have anything to toss in, you're welcome to do so. Um, 
Nolan and his brother began working on a script for this film in 2001. So the book was published in 1995. The film actually came out in 2006. So there was a kind of a long development process. And part of that is because Christopher Nolan ended up making Batman Begins before he then moved on to the prestige as his next project. Um, but uh, whatever, from what I read, he was so told him about the book in like 99 and he read it. And then immediately is like, when the rights come up, we have to get the rights to this. And the rights came up in 2001. Uh, and, and then they did and held on to it long enough to make it. And I am certainly glad that they did. And though Nolan had worked with Christian Bale on Batman Begins, Bale actually approached him and asked for that role um, that he has in this. And after he was cast, Christopher Nolan then said, I can't imagine anyone else for it. But he was not thinking of Christian Bale for the role huh. beforehand. I wonder who he had in mind. Um, and I don't think it seems like he didn't have anyone in mind. He was gonna, ready to go through a big casting process. But then <laughs> Bale kind of came and said, I want to do this. And Hey, Chris, you know, remember like, how Henry, Henry Cavill or let's see what a superhero. Could have been uh, Chris Evans or uh, <laughs> uh, Toby Maguire. Chris Helmsworth. Yeah, that, it could have been Chris Helmsworth. That would have been interesting. Mm, MCU hadn't started at this point, so Marvel was <laughs> yeah, not yeah, actually in the best. <laughs> yeah, Chris, Chris Hemsworth was in because uh, Star Trek, Trek uh, the first yeah. Star Trek, he had like five minutes of screen time where a lot of people said, oh, he's going to be a star. And then he was Thor. Yeah, he that. was good in that. Um, and similarly, uh, Hugh Jackman uh, read the script and then asked to be considered for the role. And it, it was another one where it seems like Nolan wasn't like thinking of him. But once he once the connection was made, he's like, well, it has to be <laughs> has to be him. Um, and the prestige has a 76 percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which seems low to me. Uh, I consider this much better than a 76 percent, 76 percent rating from Rotten Tomatoes. And also its box office was a little lower than. I thought it would be, particularly since Nolan was coming off of Batman Begins and you had um, a really strong cast. It made uh, $53 million in the U.S. at its box office run and $109 million worldwide. Jeez. Which the notes I saw said that was successful. Like it made back its budget. It, it made money for the studio, but it was not, a, you know, a huge hit. Man, Black what's wrong with made you? that much money in the time of this conversation. And- <laughs> <laughs> it's weird to look at the... Four weeks into its run, it was making that much money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that those numbers seem poor considering the amount of like cultural cachet that this film has. Like you can talk about the prestige with a lot of people. Yeah, I'm wondering if it it's one of those that has had a, a strong life as DVD and now like a, a streaming. It's available on Netflix right now. I mean, back uh, then it could have had a really strong dollar theater run. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Uh, for me, it made a big impact. I contributed at least two movie tickets to that fifty-three million that it made in the U.S., which isn't isn't terribly much. Uh, but I I expected it to be more um, as as I was looking that stuff up. It kind of does. I mean, it seems like it would be more because you think, wow, this is really a great movie. But I mean, not all. It, it's it doesn't feel like a like a popcorn movie to me. Like it's. It's pretty dark and it makes you think about things and <laughs> it's not a movie. It definitely is not a turn off your brain and enjoy movie. No, it's not one so, I mean, I'm in the bathroom during. So it's like anything you have to sit down and watch. I mean, not saying that's bad. Yeah, I mean, 53, 53 sounds low to me, but I, it also doesn't seem like a like a two hundred million dollar movie. You know? Yeah, I, I can see that. Or uh, Jeff, another version of what you're saying. I think I've mentioned this a few times. I, I heard someone say that they judge sometimes the quality of the television they're watching as uh, with a uh, something they call TSOP, time spent on phone. And sometimes they want a low TSOP TV show where 
where they're really going to engage with the TV. And sometimes they, they just want to be able to kind of multitask and have a high TSOP show <laughs> on in the background. <laughs> you know, something they can, you know, be like flicking that. through their social media and their email. This would be an extremely low TSOP yeah, like, oh, yeah. film. <laughs> like you, you can't be doing something else while you're watching this one. Yeah. I, as I found, you can't even be writing the summary while you're watching <laughs> this one. You have to pause it every three minutes or less. <laughs> Right, because everything matters in this film. Yeah, there's there's not much fat to trim for a summary. Nope. As you'll find out in a minute. <laughs> Are you just gonna, should we just read the screenplay? Everyone pick a character and we'll just reenact it right now. Um, well, there's not that no, many characters. It's not quite so that. We, we almost uh, almost do that. Uh, Jeff, you can be the Scarlett Johansson character, yes. and I'll be Fallon. <laughs> <laughs> you you get what two lines? No, only one. <laughs> All right. uh, Before we get to the summary from Todd, listeners, we want to thank you for listening to this episode. And we also want to thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you would like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support us, uh, support us with a pledge of at least $1 a month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers and give updates about our fantasy box office for this year. And all patrons who support us with five dollars per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss on the podcast todd do you want to hit us with the summary for the prestige i do i, I want to say two things before i start this one is if you have not seen this i really think you should go and watch the film before before you listen to the show because uh there's no way that we can do justice to it and it's really the kind of thing that i think needs to be needs to be watched the second thing is if you're gonna go watch it don't watch it with your small children because it's it's not a movie for small children (laughs) my kids were like oh you're gonna watch a movie for the podcast and i said i'm sorry you guys can't watch this one with me she said what's it about and i said it's about magicians and she said well i like magicians i'm like i really don't think you're gonna like this movie (laughs) um it's pretty dark and uh and uh so anyway but uh, it's so uh, th- there are different levels of what it means to be like a film that's not for kids. This one, it's it's more thematically not for yes. kids. Yeah, yeah. Too young, and, they'll find it boring. So, mm-hmm. in my opinion, I mean, I don't know how you raise your kids, but there is one terrifying collapsing birdcage that would traumatize a child. I'm oh, sure. Come on. Um, okay. Well, <laughs> better they learn it from the uh, now than when they're older and ready for it. <laughs> All right. Uh, and if you okay. do want to um, watch this beforehand, like I said, it is streaming on Netflix in the United States right now. And I'm sure it is available for uh, rental through other online streaming services as well. Netflix? Are you kidding me? Did you do did you... all this effort to get the Blu-ray from the <laughs> library? And it's on I, I can tell you it's on Netflix because uh, my DVD shelf is currently behind uh, some boxes because of a minor remodel that's happening down here. Oh and gosh, I tried to is. send my daughter to scurry between the boxes to reach the P section of my DVD shelf to reach for the prestige. And she could only make it to pride and prejudice. She could not make it past the PRIs to the PREs. The prestige is only a 59% match for me on Netflix. Well, you need to rethink your life. (laughs) Something. Okay, here we go. Opening shot. uh, We see a bunch of top hats lying in the forest and we hear Christian Bale's voice ask, are you watching closely? And now we cut to a bunch of canaries in cages, and we get a voiceover by Michael Caine. And he says, every great magic trick consists of three parts or acts. The first part is called the pledge. The magician shows you something ordinary, a deck of cards, a bird, or a man. He shows you this object. Perhaps he asks you to inspect it to see if it is indeed real, unaltered, normal. But of course, it probably isn't. And now we get uh, these different... um, 
inner inner cut uh, shots. So we get some of Kane and the birds, and then we get some shots of this dapper-looking Hugh Jackman performing a magic trick for a big audience. In that audience, we see a suspicious-looking Christian Bale who is called onto the stage, and then he sneaks backstage and descends below stage where he sees a blind stagehand. And then, uh, meanwhile, Jackman up on top of the stage takes off his jacket. We see a giant water tank um, under the stage with the lid open, and Bale looks around suspiciously. And then Kane continues, and now we see him showing a magic trick to a young girl. He puts uh, a canary inside of the cage and covers it up. And then he, uh, he says, the second act is called The Turn. The magician takes the ordinary something and makes it do something extraordinary. Now you're looking for the secret, but you won't find it because, of course, you're not really looking. You don't really want to know. You want to be fooled. Now, Jackman, uh, doing his magic trick, he steps onto a platform surrounded by these uh, these like big arcs of electricity, and then he disappears from the stage, and then he falls into the water tank that Bale is staring at. And at the same time, uh, Michael Caine, who's doing this magic trick for the little girl, he puts covering over the birdcage and he collapses it, making the canary disappear. And then we get more narration. But you won't clap yet because making something disappear isn't enough. You have to bring it back. Kane, uh, he pulls the live canary out of thin air and he gives it to the girl. And Christian Bale looks on in shock as Hugh Jackman drowns in the water tank in front of him. And now Kane continues. That's why every magic trick has a third act, the hardest part, the part we call the prestige. So now we cut to a courtroom where Kane uh, is being questioned about uh, the, this magic trick that went wrong. He uh, works for the great Danton, who is a uh, Jackman, and he had followed Bale down below the stage and seen him watching Hugh Jackman drown. And now Christian Bale, who we now know is called Borden, is in chains. And Kane's name is Cutter. So we have Cutter and the great Danton, who we'll find out his name is Angier, and uh, Christian Bale is called uh, Borden. And he, uh, so Cutter tells the court that Borden must have put the tank underneath the trap door. Um, but then they, the, the, the lawyers ask him, you know, it would have been incredibly heavy. And how do we know that the, that the thing wasn't part of the illusion? And uh, so they want to know how this illusion that's called the transported man works. Uh, and Cutter's in a predicament because he will not tell them because he, uh, he doesn't want to give away the secrets. So Borden, who's in chains, looks into the crowd and he waves at a cute little girl who's escort, escorted out of the room by a bearded man. Uh, the judge asks Cutter to tell him in private how the trick works, and he agrees. So now we cut again and see a man going to visit uh, Borden in prison. And uh, all the guards are worried about Borden escaping because he's a, he's a magician and he knows how to pick locks. Um, the man is called Owens, and he wants to buy all of uh, Borden's tricks uh, on behalf of his employer, who's called Lord Caldlow. Uh, Owens, uh, uh, Bol Borden tells Owens to talk to Fallon. And Owen says he has, but the Fallon is as mysterious as Borden himself and won't sell the transported man trick. Uh, Borden refuses again, and Owens tells him if he sells, his employer, Lord, Lord Caldwell, will take Borden's daughter as his ward, and she will want for nothing for the rest of his life, uh, or for the rest of her life, um, because Borden, his life is going to be short. He's probably headed for the gallows at this point. And uh, as an offer of good faith, Owens offers Borden the diary of Angier, who is the great Danton. This is the Hugh Jackman character, uh, which talks about the time he spent learning the trick of the transported man in Colorado. Borden insists that Angier never learned the trick, but Owens insists that Angier's was better even than Borden's own. So Borden uh, takes the diary and he begins to read. And now we get to, uh, so we get an, a voiceover narration from Angier, and then we see uh, in flashback he him traveling back to Colorado, and he is trying to decipher Borden's diary, which is written in code. So we have uh, <laughs> Borden 
Borden is reading Angier's diary, and in Angier's diary, he's reading Borden's diary. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so Angier arrives in Colorado uh, Springs, and he's surprised to see that the entire town has electricity. He checks into a hotel and asks for a coach to take him up the mountain where Nikolai Tesla is engaged in scientific experiments. The next day, he makes his way up the mountain and asks Tesla's assistant for an interview, but the man refuses. Angier says he'll be at the hotel indefinitely. Um, that night, Angier reads from Borden's diary, which tells of their younger years when they first met each other. So Borden writes about seeing an illusion, and so now we flash back and we see these two young men um angier and borden they're they're both in an audience they get called up um to uh to bind a beautiful young female assistant um and uh while they're tying the knots we see borden's not slipped free and he looks into the wings and gets a disapproving glance from cutter and who is the michael Caine character then we see angier he kisses the young woman's leg and it looks like they're so all of these people are in on the act cutter is kind of off in the wings and Angier and Borden are working for the magician along with the uh, the assistant. And um, the illusionist uh, attaches a chain to the young woman and like kind of like lift her up like like on a crane and then drop her in this tank of water. And then cover uh, they cover the uh, the tank with a curtain. And uh, Cutter grabs an axe and he starts a stopwatch. And then the the curtain when the curtain comes up, she's a, she's out of the water. Everybody claps. Um, after the show, Borden complains to Angier and Cutter and the assistant, whose name is Julia, that the man they work for has only got old tire tricks and he needs to do something fresh and new and risky. He recommends the catching bullet trick, but they all tell him that's suicide. He tells them that he has a great trick and one that can't be duplicated. And Cutter tells them that if they want to know what real magic takes, they need to go see the Chinaman. Uh, he tells them that whoever can tell him how the Chinaman does the goldfish trick will get 10 minutes on stage with one of Cutter's friends. Then he gets uh, after Borden for, for slipping when he was tying his knot on, on Julia. And, um, and Borden says, I think we should do this other knot that's called the double Langford because it holds better. And Cutter tells him, we can't do that one knot because it's not a good underwater knot and she might not be able to slip out and she'd drown. Um, Angier is with Cutter on this one and they let it go. And then Angier, after Borden leaves, Angier expresses distrust of, of Borden, and Cutter tells him, of course he can't be trusted, he's a magician. And we also find out that Julia is Angier's wife, and Cutter tells him not to kiss her on the leg on stage, because then people will know that he's in on the on the trick. So these guys, they go to the Chinaman show, and he does this magic trick with a fishbowl, and they can't figure out how he does it. Uh, but then Borden tells Angier how he does it, um, because uh, the, the Chinaman, when he's on stage, he walks with a limp, and it allows him to carry this big fishbowl kind of inside of his robes. And then when they see him outside of the theater, he continues to walk with a limp. And, and Borden tells Angier, that's the trick. The trick is that he's always, always performing everywhere he is. And that's the, the sacrifice uh, that allows him to do the trick. So Angier later tells his wife that he can't understand that kind of that level of commitment, pretending all the time to be someone you aren't. And she tells him she's thought of a great stage for him, name for him, the great Danton. He doesn't like it, um, but he writes in his journal um, about Borden and how Borden knows nothing of self-sacrifice like like he does. Uh, so we see Borden acting as assistant for a magician who's doing the same canary trick that we saw Cutter do at the beginning. And when the illusionist smashes the cage, a little boy in the front row cries to his mother and he says, he's killed it. And, and then the magician brings the bird back magically, but the boy insists, he says, he's killed it. He's killed the bird. And then Borden, after the show, he shows the little boy, the bird. And he says, um, he says, no, look, he's okay. Here's the bird. And little boy says, yes, but where's his brother? And then uh, later backstage, Borden takes the dead bird out of a hidden compartment in the table. And it turns out the little boy was right. 
Um, and then uh, it turns out this little boy has an aunt who's really um, pretty cute. And uh, Borden falls in like with her. And uh, so they start hanging out. And uh, he walks her home one day and she won't let him into her flat. And uh, she says, I'm sorry, you can't come in. And he looks at the lock and says, do you really think that's enough to keep me out? And she laughs and she says, I think so. And then he walks away and she walks in the apartment and he's magically inside the apartment. Um, and uh, now we're back to Cutter and the judge. And Cutter shows the judge. So we've cut all the way back to where we were at the beginning uh, with the with the court thing. And Cutter shows the judge uh, a device it's kind of bigger than a phone booth, uh, sort of. Uh, and um, and Angier uh, used this device for his fatal trick. And the judge asks what the trick is, and Cutter tells him, there isn't one. This is real. It's not a trick. It was made in Colorado by a man who can actually do what magicians only pretend to do. And uh, the judge uh, or Cutter asks what will be done with the device, and the judge says that it'll be sold to uh, this other man, the called, what's his name, called Low. Oh, called Low. So it's going to be bought by called Low, who's interested in these things, and Cutter tells him, uh, do not sell him this contraption. It's too dangerous. So um, they also see in that same place the tank that Angier drowned in, and the glass is shattered, and there's supposed to be a trick lock on it, but the this trick lock has been switched for a real one. Um, and Cutter says that Borden killed Angier as a kind of trick, and that he, Borden, was the audience. And the water tank um, had particular significance to these men. So I flash back to the illusion of the girl going into the tank, and Borden and Angier again are called onto the stage to tie her up, but this time Borden ties the double Langford knot, it looks like. Um, and she goes into the tank, and Carter starts his watch, and then the curtain comes back up, and she's still inside. And Cutter runs, in, and he tries to break the glass with the with the axe, but it's too late. She drowns. And this is a part that I would not want my little girl to see. <laughs> um, and Angier is devastated by uh, seeing his wife die in front of his eyes. Um, and at Julia's funeral, Cutter tells Angier that he once knew a sailor who had drowned and come back to life, and he said it was like going home. Um, and then Borden shows up and he's very sorry for Andrew's loss. And Andrew asks him what knot he tied. And Borden tells him he keeps asking himself the same thing and he doesn't know. And he walks away sadly. Now we cut to Borden's flat and he's now with this young woman uh, with whom he was flirting earlier. And um, they're married. And she arrives at the apartment and Borden is with uh, another man. And this man we learn is Fallon. He's the same man with the beard that was with the little girl at the trial at, in the beginning of the story. Um, and Borden has hired Fallon to help him with his tricks. But his wife is worried because they don't have any money to pay uh, this man and um, and Borden says, don't worry, the money will come. And uh, she tells him that they're going to have a baby and he's really excited. And she asks him, what's this trick that he's working on? And he says, it's the bullet catch. And she says, that sounds dangerous. And he says, um, he does the trick for her. And she says, tell me how you do it. And eventually he does. And then she says, I, you know, I'm kind of worried about this. And he says, don't worry, it'll be safe because I love you. And she says, say that again. And he's, and he does, but she says, nope, today you don't mean it. And she says um, that, Today, he's more in love with magic, but she likes to be able to tell the difference. So now we see Borden doing his own show. The people aren't really interested. He doesn't have great stage presence, and the people are booing him and throwing things at him. So he pulls out a gun, and that gets everyone's attention. And Fallon uh, pulls a man out of the crowd, and Borden gives him the gun, and then he looks at him, and it's Angier, who slips a real bullet into the pistol, and he's got this fake beard on. Uh, but Borden looks at him and, and, and realizes, and he looks very, very nervous. And Angier asks him which knot he tied. And Borden says, I really don't know. I really don't know. And then Angier shoots, but Fallon knocks his arm at the last second. And, uh, and, and, and he ends up shooting Borden's hand uh, right on his fingers. I don't know exactly how this works, but he shoots his fingers, his two fingers. And then the crowd laughs. They think it's all a joke. Um, and 
back in the diary. So Angier is in Colorado still reading the diary. And Borden confesses um, that he told the truth that night. Half of him swears he tied a simple slipknot. The other half swears it was a Langford double. He will never know for sure. Angier is distraught and writes in his own journal. How can he not know? Back home, Borden's wife, Sarah, is helping him to heal his fingers, but he's lost. So he's lost two of his fingers, his, uh, like his ring finger and his pinky finger. Um, and they're not healing well. And she says, this look as bad as the day the injury happened. And he tells her he's, uh, he's going to go to work again. And she wonders, what can he possibly do with this kind of injury? And he says, don't worry, the very best trick I, I'm working on, it's the one that everyone's going to remember me for. So then Angier gets a visit from Cutter. And, uh, and Cutter wants to work again, but he can't get work because everybody thinks that Julia's death was his fault. Cause he's the, he's like the engineer that, that designs the, the tricks, but Angier knows that it wasn't Cutter's fault. So he hires him and they hire an assistant who is uh, Scarlett Johansson. Her name is Olivia and they get a gig in a nice theater and they do this. Uh, they have this amazing trick with a dove that no one has seen before. It's kind of like the canary trick, but the canary isn't covered up on a cage in, in on a table. Um, they do it just uh, like in the, in the open where everybody can see. And it's kind of an amazing trick. And so, uh, they, they do this on their first show. Um, and Angier calls two volunteers out of the audience and he doesn't realize until it's too late that one of those volunteers is Borden who springs this contraption, um, that was supposed to make the, the bird disappear early. And, uh, and the, the woman, the, the other woman that's a volunteer, she gets her hand uh, trapped in the thing and the, and the bird gets killed. And, uh, and so Borden has ruined Angier's reputation, uh, because Angier ruined Borden's, uh, bullet trick because Borden killed maybe uh, Angier's wife on accident. So back in Colorado, Allie, who is Tesla's assistant, he shows up at the hotel and Angier tells him that he wants Tesla to build him a device that he has built for another magician. And Allie says he never discusses his work, but then he takes him up in the mountains and he shows him these light bulbs that um, they light up without uh, any wires. And, and, and Angier says, this is real magic. So um, the earlier Angier uh, goes to an exposition looking for inspiration and Tesla is supposed to be there giving a demonstration, but people are afraid to see him. And Angier sees Borden at the presentation. He follows him and sees him with his wife, Sarah and their baby, and they look happy. And Borden tells Sarah that he loves her. And she says, Oh, today it's true. And Angier is just full of jealousy and hate uh, because he wants that kind of happiness. But then later he writes in his own journal after he's been reading Borden's journal, that Borden's journal reveals a man who is not happy, but divided against himself, both happy with family life and unhappy at the same time. So uh, Fallon and the little girl visit Borden in jail, and he tells Fallon that he is re um, that he's reconsidered the offer to sell the trick. And then back in Colorado, Tesla agrees to see Angier. And uh, Tesla tells him that what he requests is possible, but it will be costly. And Angier tells him, don't worry, money is no object. And Tesla doesn't seem to be talking about the same thing that Angier is. He says, no, this is really going to cost you way more than you think. Uh, you should go home. And then uh, he says, you're obsessed. And Angier says, well, then you know that I, I won't leave. And so Tesla says, okay, uh, I've already actually started building your machine. So now we're back to Angier trying to figure out how to get work. Um, after he's, um, after he's had this, uh, this failed thing with the, with the dove and, uh, he disguises himself so he can go spy on Borden's new show. 
And Borden, in his show, he asks for a volunteer. And there's two doors on. I'm going to try to explain this. There's two doors on the stage, doors that lead nowhere. And um, he, so he stands in front of one door and he bounces a rubber ball across the stage so that the ball is bouncing towards the other door. And then he steps inside one door and closes it and immediately steps out of the other door and catches the rubber ball. Um, everyone is in total shock. Angier is in shock. The whole crowd is in shock. They don't even clap. It's so astounding what what uh what borden has done and andrew wants to know how it's done so he talks to cutter who's the engineer and cutter says it's a double that's the only way you can do it and andrew and olivia uh who is the scarlett johansson character that's andrew's assistant they both say no it, it has to be the same man it is like we've seen the trick three times it's the same man olivia even says that borden wears padded gloves to hide his missing fingers and she can see the padding in the padded gloves when he comes out the other door um and Angier wants to wants to do this trick. He wants to steal the trick, but they don't know how to do it except to um, try to find a double. Now, Borden buys Sarah a new house, and things are looking up for them. And they um, and then uh, and then Cutter finds an out of work drunk actor who looks kind of like Hugh Jackman, like Angier. Uh, and it turns out he's played by Hugh Jackman. But this is kind of amazing because he like plays himself playing. <laughs> like trying to play himself. And he, I think he does a, a, a really good job. Um, so they do the trick and it works. Uh, and so Andrew opens a door the way. So the way Andrew's trick works is he opens a door and the way that he opens it for a second while the door is open, he's hidden and he falls through a trap door. And then the other guy comes up as his door opens, he comes up on an elevator through a trap door and, uh, and opens the door and Andrew throws a hat and then steps through the door, falls through the trap door, and the other guy is able to come up through the trap door and catch the hat, and it looks like he's walking in one door and walking out the other door. Um, and the crowd loves this trick, but Angier is um, just eaten up inside because he doesn't like being under the stage at the end. He wants to be out in front of the crowd for the prestige. Uh, so Angier goes to Olivia and asks her to go and work for Borden so that she can steal his trick. And she doesn't want to. Um, and she says, it's not going to work anyway because he knows I work for you. And he says, don't worry, you're just going to tell him the truth that you're that I sent you to steal his trick. And then he'll believe you because because you're telling the truth. Um, and she looks kind of miffed and she agrees to go and do this thing. So now we're back in Colorado where Tesla shows Angier his device. And they put this uh, they put Angier's top hat under this giant ball that shoots out all this, all these electricity um, arcs of electricity. And when the electricity dies down, the hat is still there. And Angier is not happy because nothing has happened. And, uh, and he leaves. So now we see Olivia go into Borden's shop and tell her, tell him that she wants to work for him. And uh, so that she can steal his secrets and uh, Borden it kind of laughs at her. And he says, you guys are so obvious. I can tell that Angier uses a double and uh, and I bet it just eats up Angier that he has to take his bows under the stage. And it turns out that um, he does. Uh, he does hate that. In fact, back at Angier's show, the double has started making demands. Cutter seems surprised, but it turns out that Borden has found the double and planted into him the idea that he can have power over Angier. So the next time Angier does the trick, uh, Borden uh, removes the mattresses that he falls on. Uh, when he when he comes down, so Borden is able to figure the whole thing out. He goes under the stage. He pulls the mattresses out so that when when Angier falls through the trap door, he lands on on the on the regular ground and he breaks his leg. And uh, and then Borden himself comes out onto the stage, and Angier is ridiculed, and he goes and confronts um, Olivia. 
And he says, did you even get the trick from this guy? And she says, he has to use, he uses a double. I've seen makeup and wigs and things all over there. And Andrew still doesn't believe this. Uh, and um, she says, listen, I, I got his notebook from him. And, um, and Andrew looks at the notebook and sees that it's written in code. And he needs a keyword to decipher it. And Olivia says, you know what? You're obsessed. And this is a mess. And none of this is going to bring your wife back. And he tells her, I don't care about my wife. I care about his secret. And she, at this point, realizes this guy's pretty messed up. And so she tells him, you know what? I'm actually in love with Borden. So Borden is now presenting on an even bigger stage. He's very famous. He's got this Tesla-looking device that that shoots all these electric sparks out when he does his um, uh, his um, his trick. And after the show, Borden tells Fallon that he's going to walk home. And Angier follows him, and then Fallon follows them both. So you've got Borden walking down the street, Angier following Borden, and Fallon following Angier. And then Angier has set a trap for Fallon because he knows that Fallon's always going to be with Borden, and he kidnaps him. And in order to get him back, he demands uh, that, um, that Borden tell him his method for doing this trick. And Borden, it seems, uh, has no way out. And so he writes down the keyword to the journal on a piece of paper. Andrew says, I don't want the keyword. I want the trick. And, uh, and Borden says, the keyword is the trick. And then he's able to get Fallon back. So um, the keyword is Tesla. Oh, I love a good Tesla story. Yes. <laughs> so Especially that night when at dinner. It's David Bowie playing Tesla. <laughs> yes. Um, so that night at dinner, Borden shows up drunk with Olivia and Fallon and Sarah is not amused by his behavior. And she asks him what is wrong with him. And he says, I had this terrible ordeal today. I almost lost something that was precious to me. And she says, what was it that you were going to lose? And he says, sorry, I can't tell you. And she says, he says, you know, that, um, secrets are our life. And she says, stop, like whatever you're doing, (laughs) stop it because it's driving me crazy. Um, in Colorado, Edison's men show up um, to spy on Tesla, and this is seen as a bad thing. Now we go back to the first conversation. So now we, we the, the first conversation between Olivia and Borden when she went to his place and said, um, Andrew wants me to come and spy on you. And she tells him what, what Andrew told him to tell Borden. And then Borden says, I knew that, you know, of course you're going to say that. And then she kind of has this um, change in her countenance kind of and she says okay the real reason is is i hate this guy um because he's totally obsessed and i actually want to help you to be a better magician you need to be a better showman and so she starts to teach him uh how to be a better showman she says he should take the gloves off so that everyone can see that you don't use a double and now we get borden's voiceover narration again as angier is reading the diary And Borden admits that he has fallen in love with Olivia, but he doesn't know if he can trust her. But now he does know that he can trust her because this diary is the proof because she gave it to Angier as a trick. And now Borden writes directly to Angier and says, hey, Angier, by the way, this whole thing is a trick. And you must have known that I would never give up my trick so easily. And that's the end of the journal. And (laughs) Angier is really Really, really. I upset. remember that moment in the so theater, furious. and the entire audience was like, "Oh, so good." <laughs> yeah, so good. So well done. Okay, so now Angier returns to Tesla's place, and he's angry because Tesla never had even built a machine for Borden. And Tesla admits that the machine doesn't work as he had anticipated. And he says, "You know, let's maybe we should try something with with something different." So instead of putting a hat, they put a cat 
in the machine and nothing happens. And Andrew leaves. He's angry. And then he goes outside and he says he sees two identical cats playing amidst this giant pile of identical top hats. And he realizes that the machine duplicates things exactly. So back in the Borden home, Sarah has taken to drinking and Borden treats her. um, He kind of like he kind of tries to be nice to her. And then she says, I think you're sleeping with Olivia, basically. And he says, I love you. And she says, um, you know, today I believe you. And that makes it harder when I don't believe you. And then uh, Borden goes and talks to Fallon. And he says, Sarah knows something is up. And he says, you need to convince her that um, that I love her. And then Borden goes to see Olivia. But he won't be affectionate with her. And she tells him she doesn't trust Fallon. And he says, uh, Fallon protects the things that I care the most about. Then Angier goes up to Tesla's home and it's burned to the ground. And uh, and Angier's really upset. But then he goes back to his hotel and Tesla has left a box for him at the hotel along with a letter with instructions that say, you should destroy this thing. You should drop it in the ocean. But um, because because this will only bring you misery. It seems kind of like a weird thing to do, like build the whole machine and then say, go destroy it. I mean, he should, probably should have just destroyed it. Well, he took the money. He paid for it. It was a business transaction just with I a, guess. Uh, okay. a little all fortune right, right. inserted in. It is uh, a very large fortune cookie, I guess. Yes. Okay. So now we get Angier's voiceover signing off to Borden. Yes. Angier knows that Borden is reading his diary <laughs> and he knows that he is in prison for murdering him. Angier, and he won't reveal his secret to Borden. And so Borden is uh, now calls from prison. He calls Owens, and he says, uh, Owens is the lawyer from the beginning that wanted to buy the tricks, and he says, okay, fine. I'll give up my tricks, but um, but you have to bring my daughter back. So he says, I'll give you my tricks. He gives him the, the, the turn, or the, what, the pledge and the turn of the tricks, but he says, I won't give you the prestige unless you bring my daughter back to me. So I can say goodbye to her. And now we flash back to Sarah and she's super mad at Borden. And she says, um, you know, I, I, I know what you're doing and it's terrible. And he, they get in this really big argument and the cute little girl is outside and she can hear them fighting and it's very sad. And then Fallon comes along and he kind of scoops her up tenderly in his arms and walks away with her. And Borden says, what do you want? And she says, I want no more secrets. And then she looks at him and she says, tell me if you love me. And he looks at her and he says, no. And then she goes into his shop and she kills herself. And now Angier contacts Cutter and he says, we're going to do one last show. We're going to do a hundred, a hundred nights of this, uh, of this show. And he says, we're going to do the real transported man. And he has hired blind stagehands and they find a man who will give them uh, an engagement in this theater. Borden talks to Olivia and tells her that he, she says, you know, how are you doing? And he says, I'm fine. I never really loved Sarah anyway. Um, At least not all of me loved her. Part of me did and part of me didn't. And she says, you know what? You're messed up. That's, that's cold. (laughs) And so she leaves him and she says, by the way, Angier's back and you two deserve each other. (laughs) Uh, So Borden goes to Angier's new show and it's amazing. He does the same, you know, he's doing all these amazing tricks and, uh, and in the end, he unveils the Tesla machine. He invites people on stage to examine the machine. And then he steps into the electricity, like, you know, turns it with the great big huge switch, turns it on, and all the electricity starts going. And he steps into it, and then he vanishes and reappears immediately at the very back of the theater. And it's a huge success. And then we see Borden trying to figure out how he's doing this, and he's yelling at Fallon. He says, why can't you outthink Angier? 
Um, and he, he keeps trying to figure it out. And Fallon tells him, so Fallon is trying to figure out how the how the trick works, and he he's sneaking around the stage, and he sees that every night after the show, the blind stagehands take this big covered box out of the theater, but um, but he doesn't know what is in it. And so Borden goes back to Fallon, and he says, you know what? We should just leave this alone. We're done. So now we are back at the beginning. So remember the very, very beginning, Angier was doing his trick. And um, and so Borden is there. It's the last night. I, I think we're kind of led to believe that this is the last night of, of Borden's um, or of Angier's show. And Borden, uh, Borden goes, he sneaks his way up on stage and then he sneaks his way down behind stage or, or uh, below stage. And he sees the blind stagehands and he sees the water tank underneath the trap door. And, um, and Angier steps into the electricity and then he falls through the trap door and into the tank where Borden sees him drown. And, and then, uh, and then Borden is condemned to death. And then Cutter wants to buy this machine from Lord Caldwell. So, so Cutter has, um, has found, uh, Owens, uh, the, the lawyer. And he says, I want to buy the machine. And Owen says that Caldwell was adamant about having this particular device, but um, but maybe you know maybe I could arrange something so you guys could meet each other. Now back in prison, Borden's little girl shows up with Lord Caldwell, and it turns out that bah, 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 Lord Caldwell is Angier, and Borden's mind is completely blown by this, and he tells Borden, uh, Angier tells Borden, I won, and then Borden says, you know what? Don't take my little girl. Um, because you're a creep and I have no idea what's going on here, but he says, here's my secret. And he gives him this paper and Andrew just tears it up and without even looking at it. He says, my secret is better. And then Borden uh, looks at his little girl and he says, I promise you, I will get out. You think this place can hold me. And then, uh, and then Cutter comes to see called low who he now finds out is Angier and Cutter is furious because he says, I saw you dead. I saw you dead. And now you're alive. What's up with that? This is crazy. So back in prison, Borden tells Fallon that they are going to have to go it alone now. So they, they say goodbye to each other. He says, I'm sorry for everything. You were right. I should have left him with his trick. And then he says, he's sorry about Sarah. I didn't mean to hurt her. He says, go live a full life. Um, and then uh, and then Fallon speaks for the first time and he says goodbye. And now Cutter and Angier uh, slash Caldlow. Uh, they are in this old abandoned theater and they have the machine with them and they lower it down into this like uh, area underneath the stage. And at the same time, Borden is going to the gallows and before he, before he steps up on the gallows, he asks the guard, are you watching closely? Which is the same thing he said at the very beginning. And now underneath, <laughs> I'm try to explain this underneath the stage, where Angier is burying the machine cutter reminds him that he once told him what a sailor had said uh, drowning was like. And Andrew says, yeah, I remember you told me, you said it was like going home. And Cutter says, actually, I lied. It was agony. Uh, and then Angier holds a lamp to what used to be one of these, uh, w one of these water tanks, it looks like. Um, and now we, we cut back to Borden, who's just about to hang, and he says, abracadabra. And then he hangs. And then back under the stage, Borden, yes, Borden, the one who was just hung, he shows up. And he shoots Angier in the belly. And then Angier realizes that bum, 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 the Borden is not only one person, but he's in fact two people who are twins. Borden and Fallon were both twin brothers this whole time. And Borden tells him uh, that they actually have been taking turns 
being Borden and Fallon. And Angier says that Cutter knew, but that he thought it was too easy. And Borden says, I'm telling you, man, this is not easy. <laughs> and uh, and we see, um, so now we see these like uh, flashbacks to the sacrifices that he's had to make. Like, for example, one of the brothers had to chop off his own fingers to match the other guy after after the after the 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 pistol incident, the the bullet catching incident, um, he says they each loved one of the women in their lives, um, and this one, the one that's not dead, is the one that loves Sarah, and the other one, the one that is dead, loved Olivia. Uh, he says it was half of a full life, which was enough for us, but not enough for for the women. Um, and now Angier reveals that his own trick required sacrifice, um, not knowing if he would be the man in the box or in the prestige. And Borden tells him it was all for nothing. And Andrew tells him that the audience knows the truth. The world is solid all the way around. So there's no magic in the world. But if you can fool them for one second, if you can make them wonder, you got to see something very special. It was the look on their faces. And then he dies, conveniently knocking over a lamp that burns the theater now. And now we get Cutter's voiceover again, same as before, when he says, you wouldn't clap because making something disappear isn't enough. You have to bring it back. And now we see Cutter performing the same trick of the canary to the same little girl who we now realize is Borden's daughter. And she turns around and sees who? Her father coming to her just as he promised. And he takes her into his arms and he walks away. And back in the burning theater, Michael Caine says again, as we see an image from the very beginning of the duplicated top hats. Remember the very first thing you see is all those duplicated top hats. He says, now you're looking for the secret, but you won't find it because of course you're not really looking. You don't really want to know. You want to be fooled. And the camera pans over to one of these 100 water tanks in the bottom of this empty burning theater. And it contains a dead Angier, as do all of the boxes. The end. Oh, great summary of a fantastic movie, Todd. Well, Jeff. thanks for listening. Uh, that's all the time we've got for you. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, Jeff. Uh, I was going to say, do you want to uh, chat for a moment while Todd rests the old vocal cords <laughs> after that performance? No, I think he's got it from here. I think we, I think we're not even needed. He's <laughs> Yeah, sure. Well, what Jeff, is, what's up? Well, this was your request, so I want to know um, why is this one of your favorite movies besides the fact that it is a very good movie? film like what what is it specifically about this good movie that made you say oh i want to talk about that with the uh with the protagonist podcast guys oh so my 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 answer can't just be because it's good oh geez all right <laughs> let me think about this um well something i don't know if i've ever told you guys but maybe you you, you maybe you caught it on fandom i'm an amateur magic person i don't like saying magician it sounds weird but i I'm amateur at card tricks and whatnot. <laughs> well, the joke I would say to someone, I say, I'm an amateur prestidigitator. And they nice. would say, what? I'm, like, I'm, a, I'm a crappy magician. Uh, but so I, they, uh, in that light of things, uh, Angier and Borden are two different mindsets that you see even today. Uh, Borden thinks that you need to be the best magician. Like you need, you need to create a trick that the other magicians are scratching their heads over. And, uh, Andrew just says, no, you just have to entertain the people like other magicians aren't paying to see your show. Uh, muggles are, uh, that's not the, <laughs> I don't like using that term either, but you know, it's, it's not, you don't need to fool magicians. So it's still interesting to see that in that, that theme of we need to fool magicians. No, we need to fool people carry on from year for years. Yeah, fascinating. I, I I do like that. I do like um, 
that their rivalry kind of quietly gets um, compared with the Tesla Edison rivalry. Yeah, mm-hmm. So you, you've got some themes of rivalry that are happening in the film that I think are handled very well. And I like the different mindsets that you identified that are on display there. And I really love, for me, one thing that makes the, the film stand out is the way it's structured and the way they tell the story. So you obviously have kind of the three act structure seems to follow the three acts of a magic trick that are told us in the opening monologue of the film. Um, but then also, I think this is really... The, the way they choose to tell a story is so complex um, that it, it jumbles the timeline. You've got the journal within the journal reading going on. There's so much that's there that I think is Christopher Nolan just doing some misdirection for for mm-hmm. um, the plot, you know, that, that's making us not get to all the reveals yet. Even though, even as he's doing the misdirection, he's often holding something up and saying, here's the here's the key. <laughs> like here's your password to understand this. Like the opening shot of all the multiple top hats, that should be a huge clue for us. Right. But we're or kind of distracted because saying, of when it happens. Or the little kid saying, uh, you know, where's his brother? Yes. You killed the bird, where's his brother? Or well, that's, um, okay, that's the wife saying, Some days you love me and you mean it, and some days you say you love me and you don't you don't mean it. Like oh yeah, like there's... in retrospect, that's like really bunk bunk on the head. Uh, you know, telling us stuff, but because of the structure of the narrative storytelling, it's misdirection for us, and we don't put all the pieces together until we get to that. I'm sure there's some audience member who, when who, when watching it, put everything together. I didn't. I loved all the reveals that came. You I always hear when you when, from people who, oh, I've seen that movie. I totally called the ending. Like, why, why ruin it for yeah. yourself? Just, just have fun. You really called Tesla building a duplicator device from. <laughs> which he had not actually the... built before he just built it because someone asked him to yes it doesn't really yeah. like, okay i can do that i'm pretty sure they're mostly saying brothers but you know i'm totally with you on the structure and i feel like he goes so over the top in giving all of those clues it's like it's so obvious that you you don't pay any attention to it. it's the it's the purloined letter right like it's just there it's just sitting in the open and he's so like cavalier about the way that he about the way that he throws in like so many clues it's just blindingly obvious the second time you watch it like how could i possibly not have seen this and yet well even the makeup on fallon you know like the first time you watch it that's a that's a complete stranger i don't recognize and then upon other viewings you're like oh no that's just christian yeah it's uh, it's amazing, and um, and it's all done with this uh, like really complex structure that mirrors exactly what's going on in the magic trick, right? Like the the thing that I loved about this the first time I saw it was like you just saw a movie about magic tricks that is a magic trick. The movie is the is the magic trick, and I think that's cool. I just I think it's amazing that he's able to do that. Yeah, it's a great movie. Can, can I ask you guys a question that I've always had about Borden and no. and Fallon? And the brothers. For any new listeners, producer Andrew jumping in. <laughs> yeah, I, I've, I've come in a couple times. Um, so I've always tried to like figure it out. And I've wanted to treat it like there's a good brother and a bad brother. And like the bad brother tied the knot and, uh-huh. and caused the death. And the bad brother is the one that doesn't love the wife. And Therefore the, ba- the, and the, the bad, bad brother, brother hangs at the end. Yeah, and the bad brother. And, and you try to like resolve all that. But I'm not sure if it tracks. Do you guys have any sense of like because there's definitely differences in the brothers like one of them's more cavalier and arrogant and mm. seems more problematic mm-hmm. i always interpret and it one as, of them um 
the one that loves Sarah, I always call him Borden, and the one that loved Olivia, I call I refer to him as Fallon in my head just to make things easier. But do you, do you think that tracks where you kind of like attribute all the good things to one of the brothers and all the negative things to the other brother, or should we really be taking it's like each of them did about half of the bad things and half of the good things? Yeah, I think even if you say there's the one that really loves the wife, uh, at the same time, he's agreeing to live a life where his twin is pretending to be him mm-hmm. in that relationship half the time. Yeah. <laughs> and she sees the difference and like you're you're ruining everyone's lives around you because you're so committed to magic and so committed to doing the transported man that you know, you're you're it's not just you're committing your life to this, like you're 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 bringing other people into this and Correct. not giving them a choice and they are now wrapped up in this in the secret so i don't think you can defend it. i think in the end you're i mean one thing that i love about this is at the beginning i, I remember kind of like rooting for hugh jackman but by the end you're like oh, hugh, <laughs> oh yeah hugh jackman. Jackman. <laughs> i was gonna ask who's the actual protagonist of this movie yeah but then similarly like at the beginning he's um the, the christian bale one feels like a little slimier little you know little willing to push the boundaries beyond that but at this like when todd when you were doing your summary and you said he he, you know, uh, when he sees Hugh Jackman has his daughter, he says, I don't want her to be with you because you're a creep. That's how you summarize it. I'm like, the same yeah. time, you're kind of a creep too, Borden. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I, I don't think any of these guys are good. Oh, nobody's perfect yeah. in this movie. Well, and because, I mean, Olivia. No, wait, no, daughter. I mean, we have like, we have like a really negative where one of them tied the bad knot and it caused someone to die. Mm-hmm. And he never told his brother whether yeah, or not. I'm he with you, Andrew. Yeah. And, I'm and, with and, you on this. I think and, and so like if he and just like the fact that it's like okay, so the if if it's gonna be like a good and a bad one, then the good one wrote the journal and well, said, I don't know which knot I tied. Because well, my brother never told it me. It seems like they had to be taking turns but, writing the journal. And maybe that's the case, but what in either it case, the- it, it kind of shakes out to like that brother never told him what because because Angiers at the end says like after the journal he's like this is the journal of a man in conflict with yeah. himself yeah that's like, warring with himself so I think they must have taken turns writing the journal but then like if if it's like you know a good and bad one it's like okay so which one dies and which one gets to live a happy life raising the daughter well it's clearly we're supposed to know or or believe it's her actual father right. is the one the one that loved the wife right right um but then like which one had to cut off his own fingers. No, I don't think that one matters. And I mean, the other one, and, and that one that had to cut off his own fingers is the one that picked Hugh Jackman out of the crowd. Did he know? That it was Hugh Jackman? Well, no, because no, he, gra- he grabs the gun at the he end. Had, but like, he's, he's also did. responsible. He is responsible for picking Hugh Jackman. He didn't recognize But he, he's also so recognized. Just, that, I don't think he recognized him okay. because when he recognizes him, he runs up and grabs yeah. the gun. He's yeah. wearing his Logan beard. He couldn't tell. Yeah, I'm with you on this, Andrew. Yeah, I'm totally with you. I think that there is, I think we're led to believe that there is one that is more uh i say like better <laughs> more good more, more noble <laughs> more, noble, more loyal. yeah and then there's another one that's more um that's darker Arrogant but but the other and... thing that that i noticed this time is that the one i think that the one that is in love with sarah he's like the brains and and the other one is the showman and um mm-hmm. i think that's i think that's part of what's going on is it well, and it's it's hard to like suss out for every instance that you have them. So it's like one gets trapped as uh, as Fallon in in a uh-huh. casket and almost dies, and so like which one is that, and which one's the other one, and which one is the one that's 
acting so crazy at that dinner. I think that the one that's you in know, that, I almost lost something that was very precious. Like, which one's I, which in these circumstances? I think that you can tell. I think that if you will go back and watch closely, that in almost, if not every case, I think you can tell. And I, I would say that well, walking out of the theater, the bad one is the one that is uh, Borden, and Benton. and Fallon is the good one. And well, because I, I disagree with that. At the end, when Borden's giving his speech to Angier, he says, uh, I loved Sarah and he loved Olivia. And during that montage, it shows clips as the voiceover is saying he essentially didn't love Sarah. It's showing the dinner and the fight, which was obviously not him. But so just the dinner. I, I'm thinking the dinner that, and the fight are both the bad one. Yeah, they're both the yeah, bad that's one. What I was saying. And I'm thinking that was it? No. OK. Whatever. Yeah. I'm not actually paying attention. I'm just being, yeah, I'm kidding. No, that's what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the one that this is a tricky discussion. The one that's Borden walking out of the theater is still Borden when he digs up Fallon and he's still Borden when he goes and picks and, and goes to the dinner because his voice is hoarse and his voice is hoarse because he's been yelling at his brother. Remember when he, when he starts digging, he's saying, oh. he's saying I'm, I'm coming Fallon, Fallon, I'm coming, coming. And he comes in, his voice is all hoarse. And he says, today I almost lost something that's precious to me. And he's drunk and being a jerk. Like that's that's bad. That's bad. Uh, bad. I would have thought Never that thought the one that was inside the box would have been would have gotten drunk and no, it was the know, other I one. almost saw something precious to me. My no. life. He's the more level-headed one. He was in there in the box, even in the box. He's more level-headed. Yep. <laughs> than his high brother. I never thought about that. Uh, I've always assumed that. Yeah, I I almost died today. No, and so well, because you can't really tell your wife, hey, you know that magician I'm having a feud with. He buried me alive. I know <laughs> it happens, but <laughs> he buried me alive. I shot his buddy. I think I think we're even. So so Todd, you think good one was in the box and the bad one was about to lose everything. And that's why he's digging like crazy. Yes. Not that the good one loves his brother and was digging like, well, I think I they do love, love each, other. each other and they're both, but, but and they're both loves okay. himself a little more. Even as we're saying, one like there's the good one, they're both more. so obsessed with yes. magic that they yeah. are doing this weird life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that they, well, and it's, I think like, the bad brother was saying he almost lost up. something. He almost lost his trick. Yeah. Yes, he, magi- he can't be a magician and do this great trick without his brother. So, but I think he does love his brother. I think they really do love each other. Yeah. And they both love magic. He's the prestige right. or the pledge, whatever one, whoever's turn it is. Okay. So, and which one ended up having to cut his own fingers off? I, I don't think we know that. I don't think that matters. <laughs> All I know is it uh, sucks for both of them. I think if you went back and watched, I think Nolan, and I believe this about all of Nolan's films. I think that he, I think he leaves a lot of um, clues about what he's doing. And I wouldn't be surprised if you went back and were, could probably tell. And I'm sure somebody on the internet has done this. And so <laughs> well i'm sure also sure christian bale knew which one yes. he was playing whenever yeah because i think there is definitely an attitude it'd be funny if he didn't get the reveal to the very end like okay we got to reshoot all your scenes in this makeup <laughs> uh, so it could have been i think the one that got shot was potentially the bad brother because he was showing the trick to sarah and I could, I can kind of see in my head the good brother being like, "Hey, let's not do the gun trick," and the other going, "No, I'll be the, I'll do it." Do you remember? Uh, well, also, I think when, when he showed her, didn't he, didn't he say, "I love you," and she says, "No, today you love magic." Yeah, yeah. I was, I'm playing. That's the bad one, and so he might have gone on to just do, to just do the show as well, because it seems weird for him to have been practicing and it not actually. Yeah, been, I think it was bad brother that got his fingers. Uh, shot off, shot off, and so good. And brother then the good brother's like had to oh, chop his hand off, no. had to chop his own fingers off. 
Oh my gosh. Although that would have been a pretty good trick. Like a whole bunch of people witnessed my fingers be blown off. <laughs> <laughs> They're still here sometimes. Yeah. They're here half the time. I mean, talking about just the structure, I just remembered again. Like we're told from the very beginning, the uh, the, the Asian magician and it's Christian Bale who says, oh no. He's he, just doing it all the time because he's already been doing the, that. The trick is that he's making, he's acting feeble the entire time. Right. But really he has to be incredibly strong. And he's the one that figures that out immediately. And he says, that's the commitment that allows magic to happen. And that's obviously, you know, he's already living that life. <laughs> yeah. You want to know, um, uh, know a fun fact about Chung Ling Su, the Chinese magician? Yes. He was real. That is a that is a real magician taken out of history. Another fun fact is he was not Chinese. He was white, and he was he was uh taking he was taking advantage of American and wait I guess not American but he was taking advantage British, of audience, yeah. audiences being fascinated by the Chinese and, the Orientalism and yeah uh, yes so he was a white man in makeup and his last he actually died doing the bullet catch trick. And his last words were, help, I've been shot. And it was the only English he'd spoken in years. <laughs> Whoa. That's amazing. I mean, there's can, so there's a lot of layers of issues with this. <laughs> yeah, uh, There's a podcast called The Dollop that did a whole episode on him. That's fascinating because he was not the only American dressing as a Chinese to draw audiences. Interesting. Or incredibly racist. Whatever. <laughs> Uh, yes, uh, I think interestingly racist. Maybe. Okay, we should. <laughs> so there's just been a whole conversation about uh, Borden slash Fallon. You guys should talk about Angier. Angier. Yeah, well, I, for me, he is the. I mean, they both get transformed through through it, but his for me the moment where it, it, it's a great moment of performance, and it's a moment where like there's the turn. We're like, oh, it's when um, he gets the journal and. Uh, the Scarlett Johansson character says, this isn't going to bring your wife back. And Hugh Jackman, the delivery and the callousness with which he says, I don't care about my wife. I care about his secrets. It's such great writing and such great delivery and great acting in that, that it's like all of a sudden you're like, Ooh, um, this man's lost, (laughs) lost his, this guy's lost too much. Yes. And, and his obsession is now, you know, defining it like we knew he was obsessed, but now you really see the obsession. You're like, oh, this this obsession is is so much more than we realized until that line was spoken. It's got to be a challenging thing as an actor to play. Uh, first of all, just to play a character who um, transforms as much as he does, as Angier does over the course of this film. And you have, you know, like bright eyed young man. And then um, and then you have like depressed because his wife has died well, yeah, and yeah, then, flirtatiously on the stage uh-huh. like when he's he's playing the layers of being part of the act uh and supposed to not know this woman but he's flirting with her mm-hmm. you know on the stage like there's just so much you that happens this, there early the on that makes you he charmed by him he's charming early on yeah you see the growing obsession in him you see this kind of hesitant hesitant uh like building of a relationship with olivia and then that goes all hits the fan <laughs> and um and then you see and then you see Hugh Jackman playing a drunk actor playing Angier and it's 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 good. I mean, <laughs> you can tell that it's him, but at the same time you're like, man, it's like not quite him. And even when he even when he's supposed to look exactly like him, they there's like just enough of a difference that it's I I mean, I think to do something that subtly has got to be really tricky and i think that he pulls it off really really well like i think christian bale pulls off the like good good board and bad board and uh really well 
I, you, I kind of feel bad for Angier throughout the whole movie because it's like it feels like Borden wins until, well, Borden wins. But it's you know it's sad that Christian Bale just wanted to be the best magician while Hugh Jackman wanted to be the greatest showman, and so it it just. <laughs> yes, I looked, yes, that was intentional. I was trying to look the way around, so I didn't pause. Well done, well done. <laughs> yeah, that was that was fun. Uh, yeah, he just he just wanted to be better to people, and Angier or Borden wanted to be better to people who didn't care. Essentially, so you feel bad for Angier, but he kind of had kind of has it coming at the end. Yeah, and there's um. I mean, for for both of these men, there's this idea that they're going to sacrifice a lot for their craft, you know, for magic, for the sake of magic. And we even um, early on with the Hugh Jackman character, we're told he's living under a false name. Like he gave up his family name to go be a magician because it's, you know, it's disreputable and lowly. He didn't want to uh, embarrass his family or something like that. Mm -hmm. Which then it's his family name at the end. And I, I I wanted to go back. I can't remember. Do they say the family name at the very beginning and just no one notices? Because it's uh, they don't. The first time it said is when Owens, the lawyer, okay. the solicitor, is talking to Borden. He says, "I represent Lord Caldwell," and then the name is dropped again. It's never said in association with Angier. It's just okay. this mysterious. Can you Lord imagine Caldwell how bold that would have been if his wife said you gave up the Caldwell name? <laughs> Like, um, and it gets lost in that conversation because like for us the yeah. that doesn't matter is for, for the audience what would we think we're learning that this is a man who loves magic so much he gave up uh you know a comfy aristocratic life uh but really we're being told right then <laughs> this is the man you're gonna see in three acts and you won't remember yeah 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 <sighs> Man, it's a great movie. <laughs> it's a it's a strongly one of the things about this film is I feel like it's um I mean it's totally a cautionary tale, right? Like it's a morality play mm-hmm. sort of about the dangers of obsession and it's sad. I mean it, there are some really poignant um moments when um when Borden's arguing with Sarah and pretty much every time you see uh, Angier after his wife dies. Um mm-hmm. And when they're arguing the little girls outside, just to see the way that this obsession um, destroys, really destroys them. And I, I mean, it's nice it's like that it's nice that Good Borden, it's nice that Good Borden in the end gets to be with his daughter. But really, nobody comes out of this a big winner. I mean, it's <laughs> like who are you rooting for to win this rivalry? Uh, like there's joy here right until the minute. Borden shows up again then you're like wait <laughs> yeah I, I I remember like taking joy in seeing their one-upmanship throughout and like those moments of gasping with the journals the back-to-back journal reveals of, yes like I like there's joy in seeing them but like are you really rooting for one of them to win this rivalry? it's like this is just so destructive to everything that they're touching um like you said it's a it's a cautionary tale about obsession yeah do you guys think when Angier is doing his trick at the end and one of him is landing in the water and drowning. The other one's showing up at the theater. Do you think that like, it's the one that has just been created. Like one is tell like the old one is teleported and then the new one is dropped immediately into the tank or well, it, how for, do you think that works? For one, it doesn't matter. Right. Cause they both have the exact same memories up to that moment. <laughs> right. But they, yeah. but they also obviously have differences. Cause when he shows the first time he did it, he, t- he tried to tell himself not to kill him. Well, he panicked because he was about to He's die. He's like, wait. 
Well, I, I think, yeah, I think he, he tries to preserve himself. Well, yeah, so they, he doesn't want to they die. They both have like, a, sense, a sense of self-preservation, self-preservation. Yeah. even if one of them's committed to the idea that I might be dying, the other one isn't. So well, they have differences. Yeah, not knowing if I'm going to die or if I'm going to be sent across the stage. Why didn't he just use the machine again at his theater? Like he killed his other guy, and like, okay, let's try this again. Use the machine. Now he just has a twin. Now he has a double. And uh, yeah. this double's not going to betray him because then it's not the bird trick. Yes. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, you, if you put logic into it, it stops working now as why? a movie. Why do you have to ruin it That's like that? Mo- <laughs> well, I, I, I did when I was looking at reviews, and I said that it's like seventy-five percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Most of the reviews that didn't that that had given it negative reviews they didn't like the tesla doubling machine essentially like they didn't say it outright but you could tell that's what they're in the review they're not spoiling it but they say like the the science stuff it doesn't work for them (laughs) yeah um at the end and and it does kind of stand out as like that everything up up to that is believable for victoria magicians and then you get to a tesla duplication machine that tesla just invented because someone asked him to (laughs) but i mean tesla can do anything (laughs) Uh, well, he's testing. Yeah. Um, but I, for me, like the structure is so beautiful and the way it's, to- it's told, I don't care that there is that one leap well beyond the mark of reality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. I mean, I think um, the, I mean, I guess you could just say, you know, then he made a twin for himself and then they, they all live happily ever after or something, but but I, I feel like to tell the story that they wanted to tell, that's the it, it had kind of had to be this way, and it's it's yucky, <laughs> but it's also brilliant. <laughs> it's really satisfying to watch it play out, <laughs> even as you're horrified. Mm-hmm. And there, I mean, there are um, a few visceral moments that always stood out to me: uh, the birdcage snapping shut and the, the woman. Like it's not graphic uh-huh. in what it shows, but it's so like it's just such you a strong reaction. Like, and also when he falls down through the trap door and there's no cushion for him. And breaks his oh. leg. Well and also well, we've seen him limping. We've seen sleeping. the old version of him limping and that's mm-hmm. you know we finally find out why he's limping. But both those moments it's like oh, like I you wince and look away from the screen. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite um like callback in the movie is right before he's hung. While he was in the when Borden was in the prison, he's writing down his tricks and the guard is giving him a hard time and he ends up playing a trick on him but he says i'll say a magic word or two or i'll ask if you, are you watching closely say a magic word or two and then i'll be gone mm. and then right before he's hung he looks at that same guard and says are you watching closely and his final words are abracadabra and he's hung and it's that's just great writing <laughs> like, like it's so there's so many of those little tiny details like playing out through the whole movie and the, the editing of that moment is so awesome with the bouncy mm. ball because when he gets hanged, he he drops the bouncy ball. It goes, and then it cuts, and you see the ball finish bouncing. Obviously, this is the second ball, but that's his twin throwing the ball at Angier's um, uh, under under the stage. And but the the editing track follows the bouncy ball from the dead brother's hands to the live brother throwing it at Angier's. Yep, it's a great movie. It's why really people, why, why does it only have seventy six percent? That's this is just wrong, people. Okay, I think it's just the Tesla stuff. <laughs> Was 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 the bridge too far? For that's true. Years. If I had to pick one thing, like that would probably be that's the thing that bugs me the most. Yeah, but at the same time, it is probably the most important part. <laughs> <laughs> so the most important part of the movie bugs me most. Hmm, I got to rethink this. What's the sac? I mean, I can see, I can see that kind of thing. Like for some people, it's fascinating. Like I, I could think 
unendingly about like, what about consciousness, you know? And <laughs> is, can you duplicate like, you know, <laughs> obviously it's not real, but even theoretically, could you, could you completely duplicate somebody? And if you du- duplicated every cell, if it was a perfect. If match, you duplicated every yeah. cell in their body, then uh, does that mean they keep all of their memories? And if they keep all of their memories, then does that mean they're exactly the same person or are they not? And I mean, I can think about that stuff all the time. And I'm sure that there are other people that are like, just not interested in that. <laughs> and that's fine. They're interested in other things. Uh, but if you're not interested in, in those kinds of issues, then, um, or like the, or the kind of the morality tale that it is, then I think it, I, I can see how you could get kind of weirded out by the end of it and just think, nah, that would, not for me. All right. Well, any final thoughts on these characters or this story? It's good. People should be watching it. And I really hope this was not someone's first introduction to the prestige. Cause <laughs> we'll even though you're going to go watch vi- it before listening, <laughs> I really hope they did if you're at this point. There's just no hope for you. You had your chance. <laughs> you can only ever watch the prestige for the first time once in your life. Unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> That's one that I wish like I could forget to rewatch. Cause you know, you, like we said, you know, you see the twist coming, Watching a movie knowing the twist is not as fun. I tried it with Fight Club, and it's just like, yeah, it's yeah, it's pretty obvious. Not, I don't want to spoil Fight Club. Don't I guess, spoil Fight Club. Also, don't, <laughs> don't, talk, don't talk about, about it. first rule of Fight Club. Don't <laughs> spoil Fight Club. Don't talk. <laughs> um, I was gonna say though, like I think this one has a certain level of. There's something rewarding about rewatching it, knowing yeah. the twist, as you see how blatant uh christopher nolan and his brother were in writing the script and uh adapting christopher priest story in telling you visually and even in the dialogue so many hints that should tell you how to decipher everything like like todd said earlier they're not hiding this it's just there but because of how the story is structured and laid out for us we don't see it until we're shown at the very end how it's all being you done. don't want to know you want to be fooled yeah i did see somewhere online someone said that like the the mon- the monologue about essentially suspension of disbelief and, and seeing the joy in the audience faces, they, they were interpreting it as Christopher Nolan's statement about filmmaking. Like, yeah, you know, p- part of the, the greatest joy of the art of filmmaking is having an audience just go in and say, I don't want to know how this was made. I just want to go be transported somewhere else and to see the look on their faces when it works. Like I, if I was Christopher Nolan and this film was just released, I don't know how I wouldn't like go sneak into theaters just to watch their reactions to the journal <laughs> reveals <laughs> you know, and their one upsmanship throughout. <laughs> Well, it's that. It's the, um, I mean, uh, I think you could take that metaphor pretty far with this film. When they talk about magic, it's not magic, it's illusion. Everybody knows that it's illusion, but we still love it. And that's, I mean, that's filmmaking, right? Filmmaking from the very beginning of filmmaking has been about the illusion and how to create the best illusions in film. Um, And being the man in the box, I mean, like you're saying, right? You know, if I were Christopher Nolan, I would want to be there on the stage so that I can see everybody's faces, but you can't because you're a filmmaker. And so you're not there. If you're anywhere, you're on the back of the theater and you're taking your bow under the stage every single time. Right. And, uh, so yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I think that metaphor has legs. I do love the visual of Hugh Jackman taking his bow under the stage, like listening to the audience (laughs) applause and he holds his hands up. It's it's all for you. It is a perfect shot. I'm here. Uh, All right. Well, thank you again, Jeff, for joining us and for recommending this. Uh, And thank you, 
listeners for uh, joining us for this episode. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to DuelingGenre.com and please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We would like to thank Nick English, who designed our logo, and Scott yeah, Toffee. <laughs> yes, you do. Uh, who composed our theme music. If you enjoyed this episode, you might want to go check out episode number 88 when we talked about The Dark Knight, another Christopher Nolan film, or episode number 40 when we talked about Blink from Doctor Who, which has some weird, timey, wimey story structure to it as well. Uh, you can just suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. And you can follow us on Twitter. You can follow at protagonistpod, at Todd K. Mack, at Jay Dorowski, and our producer, Andrew, is at Diz Minute on Twitter. And Jeff, you are part of the Fandom Podcast, and we recommend that to all of our listeners. And where can listeners find out a little bit more about that? Uh, if you like listening to my voice, uh, I don't know why, but you can listen to fandom podcast at fandompodcast.com. Or if you'd like to see us live, we are actually going to doing be at Wasatch comic con in West Valley city at the Valley fair mall. It is a con for creators. Uh, there's going to be, uh, Kevin Eastman who created the, one of the creators of the teenage mutant Ninja turtles, Bob McCloud from new mutants and a whole bunch of people. And the absolute best part is that it is free. So you can go to wasatchcon.com and sign up and say, hey, I'm going to show that be there and they'll go great. Or they'll mail you, mail you a ticket for a couple bucks. And yeah, and we'll, we'll be there. There's going to be other local podcasts there. And if you find me, Nick or Brandon, we are probably, I haven't, we haven't actually bought them yet, but we are probably giving away Infinity War tickets for the 28th. And WasatchCon is April 27th, 28th. So it's the weekend of Infinity War. There is a chance I will be on a panel with you, but it's not confirmed yet. So don't get upset. Oh, if you- I'm not on a panel there, listeners. <laughs> but yeah, it's Wasatch Con is free. It's the first one. So uh, come give it a shot. It's you have no excuse. It's free. Come on. And uh, we'll throw up a little information on that about that on our Facebook fan page, which is facebook.com slash protagonist podcast. And at that Facebook fan page, that's where we have good conversations with our listeners and we enjoy all the feedback that we get there. If you would like to support the show financially, you can buy a topic for us to discuss or show your appreciation with a monetary donation by going to patreon.com slash protagonist. Thank you again for listening. And we'll be back next week to discuss another great character and a great story. So long. So long. Bye. Hold on, Andrew's giving me hand signals. <laughs> Joseph has not been facing. He's not been facing his mic enough. Well, it's hard because because of our current setup. My notes are t- well to the left of the mic, just because of. The-